0: We good. Okay. It's, it's a whole different world up here. <laughs> um. Yeah. Thank you for coming, ladies. And it's an honor and privilege to be here. Um. Let's open with a word of prayer. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all the ladies that are here tonight, and just pray that uh, your word would go forth. In truth and clarity and that they would be encouraged by your word and it would um, the women would be uh, would be able to hear and understand what I what you have to say to them in Jesus name amen um, we're going to talk about the conversations that Jesus had as our provision Provision: The definition of provision is the action of supplying something for use, supply food, drink, or equipment for a journey or set aside an amount in case of a liability or sudden need. I'm so honored to be here. It's a privilege to talk about my Lord and my Savior. He is truly my best friend. He has carried me and gifted all of us with his love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And our trip to Israel was just another of the amazing ways he has shown his kindness through others and beyond what I could have even dreamed or thought of, especially now with recent events in Israel. We are stunned at the Lord's timing and keeping us safe in the midst of dark and nefarious plans that were being made. He knew what was in the darkness and all the deep and secret things. And by God's grace, we were protected. I don't, under, I don't know and I don't understand his ways, but I know we must pray for those suffering now and that have lost loved ones in this tragic, cruel, and ongoing event. After being there and experiencing what we did, all of us have a deeper concern for Israel and what is happening there. And we know the end times are here and it's even more reason to be in the scriptures and to seek to know the Lord and to draw your security from him and rest in his great love because the happenings around us might not make sense but if we draw closer to the Lord by faith in his word um, he will give us what we need in these uncertain times to trust him more Now, Carol gave you a good background of the trip to Israel of the beginning and the arrival. So There were so many things that we saw and heard and couldn't retain for it was so much. We realized even more so when we got home, again, as we looked back on everything, we saw how much we had done and already forgotten. Um, We had to go back and study the places that we had been to try to relay it to you in a way that makes sense and hopefully helps you see the Bible come alive as we show you the places where Jesus walked and I hope draw comfort from his words. Let's turn to um, John 6, 27 through 35 for our scripture reading. Well, I guess I started in 26. (laughs) Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, You seek me, but not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the Father has set his seal upon him. And then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he sent. Therefore, they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes on me shall never thirst. As we think about our conversations with Jesus, I'm going to take you around Israel. For example, to the northeastern edge of the Sea of Galilee, to the city of Capernaum, Capernaum. You're going to hear me pronounce it a lot of different ways. Where Jesus heals the centurion servant, and what happened there as a result. Then I will take you to the Nazareth synagogue, where Jesus taught of who he is, and also to where Jesus fed the 5000 but on that hill by the sea then we'll go to bethlehem and see how they took care of their sheep and the temple and to the temple to the sheep gate as Jesus teaches of himself at the door as the door and the good shepherd as we picture our dear lord speaking words of comfort provision and life imagine being a jew at the time hearing things you've never heard before about the bread of life, the living water, the light of the world, I am the door, the good shepherd. To the Jews of the day, the law was what was taught. The rules and sacraments are what was emphasized by the Pharisees and other religious rulers. The rabbi was the teacher, and it was only the elite that were able to become a rabbi, and only very special rabbis had shmika, which is, was authority come from God. And this rabbi Jesus, he was different. He taught with authority. He taught with shmikah Where did he get it? He knew the Torah. His teachings were so strange yet oh so comforting. They imparted hope and life. Where did he, how do we get them? What laws do we need to keep? This man must have come from God because no man can perform these miracles with teachings so new and refreshing. I can't get enough of his words. There's love and peace in his eyes. He's not like any of the religious rulers. He has compassion on all who come to see him. And he even seems to know the secrets of the heart. Oh, perhaps he can help me and give me hope. I must know more. And I hope As we have our conversation with Jesus today, your heart will also burn within you, and you would say, perhaps he can help me and give me hope. I must know more. Our conversation will be with Jesus as he heals. Our first conversation will be with Jesus as he heals the centurion's servant. Our first stop in Israel is at Capernaum, an important garrison town. Roman soldiers were strategically placed there under Herod Antipas. These were non-Jews, probably recruited from outside Galilee, perhaps Lebanon or Syria. Centurions were the military backbone throughout the empire. Forgot. There we go. Maintaining discipline, executing orders. Perhaps one of the most famous sites outside of Jerusalem, In Israel is the synagogue at Capernaum. Since its excavation, it stands partially restored from the late 2nd or early 3rd century. It is constructed of imported white marble, nothing cheap about it, although the present synagogue was built later. It was in the basilica style with a central aisle and aisles separated by columns. The whole building was oriented north to south so that prayers could be directed toward Jerusalem. And it was located located about 100 yards from the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Excavations revealed that Romans lived along the side of the Jews. Once again, adding to the many facts of the Bible that have been proven true by archeologists. Now let's turn to Matthew 8, verses five through 13. And I'll be reading from the NIV just easier to read. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, the centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible pain. And Jesus, verse 7, said to him, I will go and heal him. In Luke 7, this story is also told and Luke stresses how the people told Jesus of the centurion's Jewish sympathies and how he built the synagogue for the Jews. Now you will see the centurion's humility even though he's a, in a prestigious position of authority. The centurion replied Lord I do not deserve to have you come under my roof but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Possibly he may have heard of Jesus' healing of another nobleman's son, recorded in John 4. Then the centurion goes on to explain his authority as compared to his faith in Jesus' authority. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He states that they do whatever I say, basically. Inferred is, Jesus, sickness and death, do whatever you say. So I trust that you can heal my servant. You are sent from God. Just as the, as the centurion was under the emperor's authority, when he spoke, his command was obeyed. His, this self-understanding he applied to Jesus because Jesus was vested with God's authority when he spoke. And he did it with God's authority to heal. His word was effective because it was God's word. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. But what was so amazing about this is that the centurion, he was not a Jew. Yet he understood a very deep principle about Jesus that many Jews were missing. He wasn't taught as the Jews were, but this Gentile's belief in Jesus' person and authority was greater than any Jew of his time. Jesus continued speaking and he said, I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, this is a prophetical and a Jewish way of saying from all over the world, many Gentiles and Jews will get saved. But many of the Jews right here in Israel refuse to believe on me. That refusal will send them to condemnation. John 5, 24, where Jesus is talking, says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come unto condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Then, verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. Jesus is our provision of eternal life through simple faith in him. It's so simple Yet the religious of the Jews, religious Jews of the day missed it. Next we will travel to a grassy hillside where one of the most famous miracles of, the, of Jesus took place. Let's see if I can, yeah. Of all the miracles performed, the only, only one is recorded in all four Gospels the feeding of the 5,000. For this reason is one of the best-known miracles. Yet many details of this miracle, including its location, are wrapped in obscurity. We'll go to a place called Tabga on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful spot about one and a half miles southwest of Capernaum. There, near the base of the hill, tradition says that it is the Mount of Beatitudes. On the top is a church Um, there's a slide of the church that we visited and had a Bible study. Um, You can barely see, but there's part of an awning of a little place where we sat down and had a Bible study. The church also has a mosaic of five loaves and two fishes. And here we are, right here, looking down toward the Sea of Galilee. From there you can see a grassy hill going down to the Sea of Galilee and it isn't the definite spot where Jesus was for this miracle but scholars have landed on this place because in the book of Mark, specifically 6.45, which says the feeding of the 5,000 took place further east east of Bethesda, Bethsaida, not in Maryland, (laughs) on the very northeastern edge of the Sea of Galilee where this picture was taken. The Apostle John noted that the Passover feast was near, John 6, 14, so we can conclude that it took place in the spring of the year. It is one of the most beautiful seasons of the year in Israel. The winter rains have come to an end, and the hillsides are covered with a carpet of green. And Mark reports that Jesus had the people sit down on the grass, confirming that time of the year. So we can picture in our mind what the location looked like through the photos. Um, Oh, you guys didn't see that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just realized. First time, okay. And uh, there's the church, and there's part of the place, where, awning of the place where we sat outside and had a Bible stay. I forgot. Sorry. Uh, all right, and now we'll go to the next one. All right. We will meet Jesus and the disciples in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 14. Jesus went forth um, and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick and taught them many things. Verse 15, and when it was evening, His disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place. We're out in the country. And the time is now past. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Notice the disciples see and tell Jesus what they think he should do. This is how we operate most of the time. We have needs and requests, so we bring them to the Lord in our minds, and we have a way that God should answer our prayer, and we think we know what a good God should do. The disciples were no different. They give Jesus reasons why they couldn't possibly take care of the problem. Totally logical reasons also. To many people, we have nothing to give them, and it is late. But in verse 16, 16, Jesus says to them, they need not depart, give them to eat. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking, with what? We have nothing. Yet the Lord says, feed them. We today give our reasons. We can't do things also. We say to the Lord, I I can't do this. I'm too scared. Oh, I don't know anything. How can I go through this? This is too hard for me. Did you see what they said or what they did? And the Lord lovingly says, take the next step, step and trust me to help you. Do the next thing. You are not alone. I, sh- I will show you my power in this. Put your faith in my word and rest in me, just like at salvation. And remember, my ways are not your ways. Verse 17, and they said to him, well, all we have are these five loaves and two small fishes. Well, you we know what those are from Carol's last message. <laughs> Sardines. In other words, this is all we have, and it's nothing compared to the need. We say, this is what I'm like This is all you have to work with, not much for this overwhelming task. It seems impossible. I can't change myself, or no one will ever change, or this is too hard. I can't do it. In our mind, all our reasons are perfectly logical and justified. But what we are missing is the element of a holy God. And Jesus said, bring them to me. Okay, the Lord says in his grace and mercy, because we have just insulted the Lord, Bring what you have to me. Okay, the Lord says, believer, bring your tiny bit of faith and your fearful heart to me. Verse nineteen, and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fishes, and looking up to heaven, and he break, and he blessed, he blessed and break, and gave the disciples, and the disciples gave the multitude. The Lord Jesus took what they had and blessed it and fed the people. The Lord will take what you have and use it and bless it for his purpose, his honor, and his glory, if we let him. Unfortunately, sometimes we get frustrated because we can't figure it all out or control it, and we get stuck in the weeds of our thoughts and doubts, and we give our list of excuses. We say, I have no time. I'm too feeble to do anything. I haven't anything. I haven't any talents or gifts. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't know anything. I'm not smart enough. I'm weary of all the worries I have. These are all excuses I have used, and I know them well. We are familiar friends. But the Lord understands all of this. He understands the impossible predicament the disciples were in, also that Jesus put them in. What is he showing us here? Bring what you have to him, yourself yourself. Your tiny bit of faith, your prayers, your means, your food, your house, your car, whatever it is. And thank the Lord for what he has provided and what he will do with your little bit. Put your eyes on the truth of God's word, a verse that speaks to you. Write it down. Put your faith in what it says about the Lord, just like at salvation. Trust him and thank him for what he will do. Now, I know there's lots of people hurting for one reason or another, Some have been in long, hard trials, and we must make a decision every day to carry our burden or lay it at the feet of Christ, most often moment by moment, because our struggle is so difficult. Learning to trust the Lord in our most difficult trials takes time and growth, especially if they're never-ending, and sometimes one ends and the enemy comes in from another angle and Sometimes it's just long and hard, but take heart. The Lord tells us that in him we, have, we can overcome the wicked one. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4 says. Ask the Lord to direct your steps for strength and peace and build your faith. God's love and provision will be seen more real to you when you see him in his works, in your life, and in answered prayer. One John 4 9 says in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And they all did eat verse 20 and they took up of the fragments that remained and there were 12 baskets full. The answer to the problem was not what the disciples expected or even thought of and there's the little boy. Who gave up his lunch for Jesus. And Christ multiplied what he had. Perhaps we are sometimes afraid to trust the Lord. But not this little boy. And God honored his faith. So be ready for the Lord to work differently than you expect. Allow the Lord to direct you in trusting in his direction. For this moment the disciples saw the Lord miraculously feed people with an abundance left over. Twelve baskets. Who do you think got the glory in this? Did the disciples say, oh, look what we did when we shared this lunch. No, obviously it's God's doing and he gets the glory and our faith is strengthened. The Lord can help us in our struggles, whether big or small. Our walk with the Lord is a moment by moment thing. Although the Holy Spirit never stops indwelling us, God's word doesn't change. We do. One moment we are trusting and encouraged, and the next we are encompassed by fear and hurt and overwhelming circumstances and unanswered questions. Our friends, the disciples, were no different, even though they had the Lord Jesus in their midst and they could see, feel, and talk to him. Don't be discouraged, dear friend. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, but simply to trust in his love and who he is. We also find that his word reminds us As we look at our thinking as the witness of men, in 1 John 5, 9, it says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. His word is greater than our thoughts, and we must bring them back to him. Further in the chapter, Jesus is teaching again, and he refers to himself as the bread of life, which he illustrated when he fed the 5,000. So on the following day, there were people from the same crowd, crowds just following Jesus, and this was in Capernaum, Jesus' hometown. And Warren Wiersbe's commentary says, the disciples were impressed how many were so diligently trying to follow Jesus, but he wasn't, but Jesus wasn't impressed. Jesus knows the human heart. He knew that they originally followed him because of the miracles, but now their motive was to get fed, end quote. So Jesus speaks to them on their level in John 6, 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man gives you because the Father has set his seal upon him. He pointed out that there were two kinds of food, for the body, which is necessary, but not most important, and the food for the inner man, the spirit, which is essential. What the people needed to hear was not the, what the people needed was not the food, but life. Life is a gift. Food only sustains life, but Jesus gives eternal life. The Jews Heard the word labor in verse 27 and misinterpreted it to mean that they had to work for their salvation. In keeping with their thoughts steeped in works religion, they completely missed the word give. And looking through their religious works glasses, they thought they had to do something to merit eternal life. And that's nothing new. So many people today miss the gift of salvation because they don't understand God's grace and complete work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us. His work so satisfied the law courts of heaven that there's nothing for us to do but believe it and take it by faith. Believe in what Christ's death, burial, and resurrection took care of for you. In John 3, 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those are Jesus' words. Instead, they worked so hard and never knew when or if they have done enough. They live with a hundred-pound sack on their back of guilt, fear, and insecurity, not knowing whether they have atoned for salvation or not, and at the same time totally blinded to the truth of Isaiah 64.6, but we are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, good works, are as filthy rags. Let's catch up with Jesus and his conversation with the people. Let's go to John 6, verse 26. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. You are following me because you want more food. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the Father has sent his seal upon him. Instead of looking for more food and miracles, listen to my words. That is the food which brings you everlasting life. God the Father has sent me for this purpose. Here is where they tell what the religious ears heard. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answers plainly to them, This is the work of God. This is what you must do, that you believe on him whom he, God the Father, has sent. Notice how patient Jesus is with them. He understands how stuck they are in their religious ideas of works and earning your way to heaven. He says the only work that God the Father requires is that you believe on Jesus Christ and his work for you. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, not by how much money you gave or your traditions from your father's religious traditions and sacraments, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Back to our conversation. The Jews were always looking for a sign. 1 Corinthians 1.22, the rabbis taught that when the Messiah came, he would duplicate the miracle of manna. And these Jews were saying, if Jesus was truly sent by God, then let him prove it by sending manna from heaven. Warren Wiersbe says about this, once again, see and believe. But faith that is based on signs alone and not the truth of the word it can lead a person astray, for even Satan can perform lying wonders. In Second Thessalonians 2, 9, according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And verse 32, back to John 6, Then Jesus said to him, them, Most assuredly, I say unto you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but God did, my Father, now gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. They were still not getting it. They said to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus replies in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes on me shall never thirst. These two statements... Shall never hunger and shall never thirst. Say to me, Jesus is saying, I will fill you. I will fill your life. I will satisfy you like nothing else can, spiritually, eternally, and presently. He says in verse 37, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out, by no means. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me that all that is he has given me i should lose nothing referring to all that believe but should raise it up in the last day and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes on him may have everlasting life sees the son in this verse refers to the present company of jews who were questioning his authority because they saw jesus grow up as mary and joseph's son and Jesus knows what they are thinking. And he tells them in verse 43, Do not murmur against yourself, among yourselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. I am where you go to find it, through me, Jesus says. And we acquire it by faith for our eternal life and for us in our present life. Sometimes we're just like the Jews. We have so much right before our eyes, yet we just don't believe it. We can believe in Christ's work for us for salvation from our sins but can he really fill our lives or fulfill our life like nothing else can? We are like the Jews that doubt his words because we can only see in an earthly way and we get stuck in our earthly thinking. How can the Lord fulfill my life? At the end of the day when the funeral is over when my husband just died how can he fill me? When I feel so lonely. No one cares. They can just move on. And I'm just here by myself. What you have just created is fertile ground for Satan's lies. Now the enemy comes in and plants seeds of doubt. God doesn't care. It's just downhill from here on. And I'm, after all, I'm so old. I'll just wait for the next thing to happen. It doesn't make sense. How can I trust a God like that? This is human thinking without God's influence in our lives through the word of God. And if we don't allow God's influence, God to influence us we'll be stuck there and although we need to tell the Lord our frustrations and fears and pour out our heart toward him and know that the Lord does hear us and he cares about these things we must not forget about his part of the conversation we need to listen and believe Jesus's words Sometimes these things take time. Sometimes they're so hard and there's no explanation for it. Let the Lord speak to you as you go to him as your Savior in this situation. He will answer prayer and comfort you. And you need the grace of God to heal and bring back your joy. And I promise you can heal and see the Lord answer prayer and there will be joy. In his wisdom, in his wondrous way, there will be joy. And don't let your deep hurt go to waste. If the Lord has encouraged you in your deepest hurt, oftentimes um, you can minister to someone else who is in deep hardship. There are so many others who need encouragement in their trials too. Just an understanding ear or a non-judgmental caring thought can make all the difference Then open your Bible and pray that the Lord will show you what you need to see about his love and Jesus Christ's work for you, and then thank him for it. Allow allow the Lord to take your five loaves and two fishes and grow it, encourage it, and transform you or use it. Or give you a hope in your circumstances and fears. This is a growth process over time. And his forgiveness, grace, and mercy is always there. So we have seen and been encouraged by Jesus as the bread of life. Now we will go to Bethlehem and let's look at Jesus as the good shepherd. Okay. Um, at Bethlehem, which is very close to Nazareth, which means the house of bread in Hebrew. Um, Before entering, we had to stop and exchange our tour guides, and Carol talked about this, from Uncle Kenny, our Israeli tour guide, and Johnny, our Palestinian tour guide, um, which was, and we know, we were here now in an area controlled by the Arabs, but occupied by the Palestinians. The guide said it used to be populated 100% by Christian Palestinians, but since 1973 the Arabs took took it over and it had dwindled to only 10% or so. So now there's a wall between the Jewish sector and the Palestinian sector and we went to a shop where the Christian Palestinians had intricate carvings and um, that they sell to make their living and there was huge carvings like as big as this pulpit and they're just all around 3D you could see all the way around and then there were little carvings that were, you know, keychains and this is, Tracy brought, bought this one and they would send it to the States for you. Um, Bethlehem is a small village in Jesus' time. It was about five miles to the south of Jerusalem, situated in the hills. The village received enough rainfall to support agriculture, but it was also close enough to the Judean wilderness to encourage the raising of sheep and goats. This is where we saw the shepherds and the ancient cave, okay, where they brought their sheep at night. Now there were no barns in Jesus' time. The feeding trough was carved out of a rock in the cave. No wooden mangers here. In fact, no ho- cows, no hay either. It's just a cave, which is a feeding tr- with a manger, which is a feeding trough, just carved right out of the wa- rock. So for the night, when the shepherds came, they just laid in the doorway to protect their sheep. And in fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah 5.2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and think of it, the bread of life was born in the house of bread. I had to mention that because we were just talking about it. And another interesting tidbit of what we saw was the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. It is the very place where scholars and ancient records indicate that it is the spot where Jesus Christ likely could have been born. It's one of the only churches that has been in use since Christ died about 1700 years. Unfortunately, it is shrouded in so much religion, they have built a church over it. And that's the church. And um, the Catholics, the Armenians, the Greek Orthodox share the church and they fight over their areas and cleaning them. And that's one of the places we saw Israeli soldiers, by the way, because that's how much that they fight and also the silver lamps the candles and incense and tapestry with religious pictures and paintings thickly decorate the church so that the meaning of the place and what happened there feels a little tainted but there was good side to all of it Randall Price pointed it out and he said it was the fact that it protected the spot where Christ was born the cave is located you go to the front of the church and you go to the side of the front area where they have all their pictures and the guy speaks, and there's stairs going down, about six stairs, and you walk through a, a little hallway and then six, seven feet, and then you go to an opening where there's a cave opening. And um, you take six short steps to, to the cave, and once entering the cave, you see the manger area, and it was on our left, and, and it was marked with, the and the, on the right was this little opening and this great big silver star where Jesus was supposed to be born, right there, and um, little more silver lamps and tapestry, and they had little notes because people put notes in there, and people would pray and kiss the floor and all that, but um, that is a very old church and that's why Randall Price brought us there. He wasn't interested in bringing us to all the churches but he said what happened, because it's so old and that it's been so long, they, they pretty much, they think that that probably is the place where Christ was born. Um, let's, take, let's see. Oh, and then there's, went to the shepherd's cave and there's our little Tracy there and um, a shepherd's cave that looked like this and the sheep entered mixed in with other sheep because quite often more than one shepherd used the same cave and then the shepherds would sleep in the doorway to protect the sheep from predators and robbers as I said before and when the morning came the shepherds came out and called their sheep and only his sheep would come out. They knew their shepherd's voice and they only followed his voice. The attachment was so intense that one speaker who lived with a Bedouin, a nomadic Bedouin family, to observe their lifestyle, said that today if something happens to the shepherd, there has to be an under-shepherd there, so there will always be a shepherd for the sheep because if the sheep, they will only listen to the shepherd, and if there's no under-shepherd, they will have to slaughter the flock. There are no fences so the shepherd must lead them to the safe places where they can graze and drink and keep them out of the farmer's fields. It is quite an amazing thing to see the sheep follow and surround the shepherd as he walks. And a lot of times he just tuck-tuck-tuck, talk, 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 talks the whole time. Which brings us to our conversation with Jesus, having as he was having with the Jews, making an analogy of something they are very familiar with, shepherds and sheep. And the Bible has... So many things to say about shepherd and sheep, but we'll only touch on a few things mentioned in John 10. But to talk about John 10, um, I need to, go, to back, go back to John 9, and we need to see what happens there to open our eyes to what the metaphor means. The Jewish religious leaders missed it, but the healed man doesn't, because John 10 is a metaphor and um, a verse... Hopefully this will give no meaning to the question asked in verse 1 of chapter 9. Why was this man born blind? So let's, let's go to the location. Well, as far as um, I have researched, scholars do not know exactly where this was happening. But one man, one commentary seen, said the healing of the blind be- beggar may have happened uh, by the sheep's gate and because that's where sheep are sold to the Jews for sacrifice and that's where then Jesus continues on talking about the shepherd and the sheep um, he sees something they know and draws an illustration from it so today it's known as the lion's gate and I didn't, couldn't find it in my pictures but um, I know we were there in John 9 it says Jesus passed by and saw a beggar a beggar man who was born blind from birth he saw one of his little sheep who was blind from birth and he had compassion on him so the disciples asked who sinned did this man or his parents and Jesus answered neither but that the works of God should be made manifest in him so that the world could know God's business I am only here for a short time and I must do the work of him who sent me As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus spat on the ground, made clay, and put it in his eyes and told him to go wash in this pool of Siloam. As the good shepherd, he took care of his sheep. And then the blind man was brought before the Pharisees and questioned and they didn't believe him and said he was lying and that Jesus was a fake and he tried to get the blind man to discredit what Jesus had done and not believe in who Jesus was. And they threw the blind man out of the synagogue, which was a severe thing for the Jews of the day. But Jesus, the good shepherd, found him. He looked for him, and he told him he was who he was, and the man believed. He saw Jesus and worshipped him. Notice how Jesus, as the good shepherd, seeks out his sheep. He also seeks out and offers his healing and comfort. Jesus took him in when the Pharisees threw him out and when they should have been caring for him. N- and now the Lord uses our story about the healed blind man. And Jesus says the good shepherd and takes him in and prevails over the Pharisees in John 10, 1 through 5. It is a metaphor of the good shepherd as he uses what happened to reveal the works of God and what Jesus is to all them that believe. Let's read as he begins with the fact that Jesus is the shepherd that enters by the door and leads his sheep into salvation. Verse 1, most assuredly I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is saying to the religious leaders who were thieves and robbers, I have come to claim my sheep. They tried to lure the blind man away and question what happened and who did it. As the blind man was questioned, his eyes were opened to who the Pharisees were, and in contrast, he saw who Jesus was and believed on him. The doorkeeper, God himself, opens the door and gives Jesus full rights to claim his sheep because Jesus comes the proper way in fulfilling the Jewish law without sin. He is leading them out of the fold of Judaism into the pasture of salvation, that he has prepared for them and he brings out his own sheep he goes before them and they follow him for they know his voice there is a different way we raise sheep in the west from the way it is done in the east in the west we drive sheep in the east they lead sheep because there's no fences they just trust the shepherd for they know his voice and to know his voice is to be constantly reassured of the shepherd's presence and care for them. It is evidence of his faithfulness and affection. Yet they by no means will follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This can be applied to believers today as they trust the shepherd's voice. And ladies, where do we hear the shepherd's voice? In the word of God. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. He knew what they were thinking, and he changes the metaphor now. Jesus says, I am the door to abundant life, the gateway to the opening of the sheepfold. Verses 7 and 8, Jesus says to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If, uh, and you, um, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If a person is to be saved, he must enter the fold through Christ as he is the entrance or the gateway. Through him we go in and out and find pasture through, through Jesus Christ as the door. What does this mean? The door through which you go in is the, sa- to find, is the door to find rest for your souls, and it is the same door in which you go out where you find nourishment and pasture for your daily needs. Jesus' point that the life of his sheep, whether they are coming in or going out, is always through him, our good shepherd. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Once again, reminding us of the difference between the good shepherd and the enemy who does not care for your soul and only shackles your life with things and thoughts that destroy you. In verse 10b, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And this life that transforms us and gives us love, that softens us and changes us through him, this is the life that does that. We are able to rest and feel secure the closer we are to the shepherd. We follow him because we know his voice in the word And he brings us to new pastures. It is through Jesus that we enjoy rest and safety of the fold. It is through him that we also enjoy the sweetness of the field. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And Jesus is speaking of his death in six months. Also talking about the sacrificial way he daily cares for his sheep. A normal shepherd will risk his life for the sheep. And we'll not want to lose it, but our Lord Jesus lays his life down so that the sheep could experience abundant life through him. As our Christian life is lived through Christ, we can have the benefits of rest and joy and nourishment under his care as we trust in him. And I pray that you would see the Lord Jesus as our provision, and as we have talked about here in in uh, tonight, um, as the centurion centurion's faith in Jesus as he showed us our provision of eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ, feeding of the 5,000. He showed us his power that can work in our lives to encourage us despite our weaknesses. And Jesus is the bread of life. He is where we find life. And Jesus is the good shepherd. Through him, we are saved. And through Christ as our shepherd, he leads us in our Christian life. Okay, and then we have... I'm reminding you of of upcoming events. Now, the next Bible study will not be till January because of all the Christmas stuff going on, but the the Heritage Trail is not on the 21st. Um, do you know when that is, Carol? The 18th, so I, ha- I didn't change this. Um, A Conversation of Miracles is what Carol will be talking about, and... Um, it's, lo- the locations will be one in the Sea of Galilee, calming of the storm. And the next Hipos, Hippos, in the Decapolis, the healing of the demonic. And Capernaum, healing of the woman with an issue of blood and the raising of a dead girl. We went to all those places and there's Carol right there circled in. <laughs> and it, they, it's, it was very amazing. The whole trip was very amazing, and I feel like it's a trip that just keeps on giving. As you learn more about the the places you were, and were standing, and you don't realize it while you're there, but when we got home and started thinking about all these things, you just, wow. I mean, we were wowed there, but you even come home and you still are wowed. Okay, well, let's end in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening, and thank you for all the women that made the effort to come out. and I just pray that you would give them safety on the roads tonight, and um, and uh, that you could use your word tonight as I presented it. That the words of Christ would strengthen and encourage us. That we would want to seek Him more and go right, go into those stories and learn more about them. Because I've only touched on them, and um, pray that they would realize that you, you do know the secrets of the heart and you knew, know, understand them and you care about our hardest trials and our deepest doubts and our deepest fears and that you do love them and that you will give them joy and you will answer prayer in your way and it will be good, it will be a good thing and it would encourage us, even to the point that we seek to encourage others, Thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming.